0: Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Welcome to everybody outside. Welcome to everybody that's watching online. It's, um, it's great to be here today. Um, I, I was in and out a little bit, so I don't know. I apologize for those of you that are inside. Our screens aren't working again today. It's a little part that we've ordered that we thought it, it was going to work today, but it didn't. So, so Sorry. But I think you'll be able to follow the sermon today. There are sermon notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. And hopefully, um, it'll all make sense. So hey, we're in a series called uh, Breaking the Status Quo. So just so you know that that's kind of where we're going and talk about what life is like in terms of um, some of our, the things that we just kind of go with the flow and things that we just feel like are a part of life that maybe need to be broken a little bit. So all right. So hey, there's, um, there's a few things we learned this summer. I don't know, but a few things we learned. One is uh, that the San Francisco Giants are actually a good baseball team. Okay, <laughs> we kept waiting for this team to fail, and now we're on the last day of the season, is today, right? Dodgers are one game behind. Giants, if they lose to the Padres and the Dodgers beat the Brewers, it'll be a tie, and then but but all all summer long, you're just waiting for the Giants. They're going to fold. They're going to fold. They never did. Okay, they're a good team. We just. Second thing we've learned is that it may never rain again in Southern California, okay? It's just quite possible that it will never rain here again. I I don't know the last time it actually rained other than like way up in the mountains. And then the third thing, third thing we learned this summer is that if you have more money than you know what to do with, just build a rocket and go into outer space. Okay, right? So this summer, this summer, um, on July 9th, Richard Branson was aboard Virgin Galactica's little rocket ship. And he went up and he went up and did. Uh, they never actually got into orbit, but he got into weightlessness up into space. On July 20th, Jeff Bezos, the world's richest person, was a passenger on Blue Origin's New Shepard launch vehicle. And both of them went up um, about 55 to 65 miles above the Earth. Uh, one of them was up there for about 15 minutes, one for a closer to an hour, and, and they are doing it. And just to let you know, in case you're interested, if you would like to reserve a seat with Virgin Galactica, you can do that for $250,000. Now, the uh, L.A. Times columnist, Michael Hiltzik, wrote this. The competition to be the first billionaire in space should mark a milestone in the towering vanity of wealth, he wrote. Let's promptly dispense with the notion that any of these flights will add anything to our scientific knowledge unless it's the establishment of a new metric for how long it takes for money to burn a hole in your pocket when you have more than you could possibly need. And it was this sort of race between billionaires. Elon Musk's in the middle of it, too. Who can get into space the quickest? And it just shows us, I believe, That what we do with our money is one of the biggest challenges of our culture and how we actually experience money. And that's the status quo that we're going to look at today. I remember when I was young in ministry and, and all that, I'd hear from missionaries. I don't know if you've ever had this, but maybe a missionary comes from church and to church and speaks. And oftentimes the missionaries that had gone to like Africa or gone to South America would come back with these stories and the stories were wild. The stories were of, of this spiritual warfare that they actually experienced and saw in the villages that they're working in. And it would be actual that there'd be this spiritual warfare between them as the missionaries and praying against actual sort of the the, uh, the spiritual leaders in the in the village that were kind of witch doctors and all that. And they actually saw deliverance happen in people's lives and 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 things happen. In, some people talk about things like being raised from the dead and things like that. And I, then I would look at my own ministry and go, I don't see that happening in my culture around me right now. Now, not to say it doesn't, but what it thought me, got me thinking about is this, that Satan's strategy in the Western world is so different than his strategy in places like Africa or South America, that his strategy is much more subtle with us. His strategy is more behind the scenes with us. His desire is the same. Satan's desire. We talked about Satan and the world and the flesh last week, if you're wondering where this is coming from. But but Satan's desire is to keep any of us, all of us, as far away from God as possible. To do whatever he can to keep us from actually experiencing what life with Jesus is all about. And in places like Africa and South America, it seems like he has a strategy there. And he has a strategy with us. And I believe his strategy and one of the main strategies that Satan has in our world is to turn money and stuff into idols. And it's what we call materialism. And it is part of our status quo. Part of just the way we go through life. It's kind of woven into the fabric of our society. And just to let you know, this message is going to be part sermon and part confessional, okay? (laughs) Because I struggle in this area in some very interesting ways, okay? And I'll hopefully let you know that. The most stressful day of the month for me is the day when I pay the bills. It's also the most stressful day for Nancy, my wife. And it's just stressful because I just look through this and I go, and this will, I go to my study and we do it on bill pay, get on my computer. It doesn't take me long. It takes me about 15 minutes when I'm paying. And you go look through the credit card bill too. And, and it's often it's like, honey, why did we spend $300 at this? And then she's like, oh, because of this. I'm like, oh, okay. Honey, how did we spend $200 at Target? Well... It's pretty easy to spend $200 at Target. (laughs) Okay. But all along, it's all of this. How did we do this? How did we do this? How did we do this? And what happens is, for me, and maybe for you, we, we are listening to the lies of Satan or the lies of our world. And that's what I want to do today is just look at a few of those lies and talk about some of the truths that Jesus tries to say to us about money. So here's the first one. The first lie. You will never have enough. You will never have enough money. You will never have enough stuff. That's what the world tells us. Uh, John D. Rockefeller was the first American billionaire. At his time in the late 1800s and early 1900s, he was the wealthiest man in the world. He, um, he owned 90% of all the oil and gas industry of his time. His, he was worth what, about 1% of what the gross national product of the whole country was. And when he was asked, how much money is enough? His answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. We never actually are content with what we have. And that's what this world tries to do for us is to make us discontent with what we have, and says, you will never have enough. Another lie that we hear from Satan all the time is this. It's your money. Spend it as you please. You've earned it. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. And no one else needs to know. I believe money is one of those little secrets that we like to hide We don't want to let people know how we spend it. We don't want people to know how much we have. Because oftentimes we feel shame, either around maybe bad decisions we've made in finances, or maybe we feel like we've got too much money. But shame is something that we have in this area. And it all comes down to this fact of believing that this is your money and you can do whatever you want. And it's my little secret. And thus I can mismanage my money and you don't know. I can spend it on whatever I want. You don't have to know. But either we spend too much or not enough. One of the the funny uh, family stories in my family growing up is this. Um, And this will give you just an insight into kind of my struggles with money a little bit. Uh, When I was about 11, 12 years old, I went to the beach with some really good close family friends, went down to Newport for a week had a great time. My parents gave me a $10 bill and said, if you need anything, want to ha- buy anything, go ahead. Here's $10. I go, great. Okay. Had a great time. Uh, we went on the beach all the time. We walked on the boardwalk, went to Balboa, all that stuff. At the end of the week, I went home. My parents said, Do you have how did it go? Do you have a good time? Oh, great time. Did you spend any money? I go, no, I didn't spend any money. Here's the $10 back. I didn't buy a Balboa bar. I didn't spend it on anything. I just didn't want to spend it. I wanted to hold on to it. You see, when we feel like it's our money, sometimes we just want to hoard it and hold on to it. That's kind of what has been built up in, in me. It's either I'm a miser or I'm frugal. I'll take frugal. And here's the third lie. You are what you own. You are the house you have. You are the car you drive. You're the clothes you wear. That's how we compare ourselves. And that is just a lie. That's not who you really are. But we are told by the world and by Satan that you are what you own. You are how much money you make. You are how much money you have. You are what you own. And these lies hit us at the deepest place in our lives. These, these places of security and insecurity, of identity and just where who I am. They're major, major sources of anxiety in our time. And we compare ourselves often based on how much wealth we have or don't have. And it's all a lie. And we are bombarded daily by advertisements and images which propagate these lies that tell you you need to have this house. You need to have this type of car. You need to eat this type of food. You need to go on these vacations. All of this stuff is wrapped up in these lies. One day Jesus was telling a parable, and it's a very well-known parable. It's a parable about a farmer who went out into his field and he was throwing seed around. He was throwing seed into his uh, field, and some of it landed on kind of the pathway and was hard, and it didn't even get into the soil, and birds came and ate it. Some of the other seed fell on what's called rocky ground, and it uh, put a root down and grew up, but the roots couldn't go down deep enough, so when the sun came out, it, it withered. Some other seed fell along some thorns and some weeds, and it grew up, but then the weeds grew up and choked it. And other seed fell on good soil, and it grew up, and it produced a, produced fruit. And then when asked to describe and explain this parable to his disciples, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He says, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful that the deceitfulness of wealth can actually choke out our faith from growing. It can actually keep us from becoming all that God wants us to be, the deceitfulness of wealth. You see, money in and of itself is, um, is really neutral. Uh, it was created so that we could move from a bartering system, right? So, um, and that's really helpful because now if we didn't have money, right, we'd still be bartering with one another. And and I'm not sure what I would have to barter with any of you all. But, you know, like spiritual... Um, Spiritual counseling for cliff bars, right? You you could give me cliff bars, Michelle, and, and I would give you spiritual counseling. Or, Rich, you could give me some clean water, and I would give you spiritual counseling. But we don't have to do that anymore, thankfully. We just have money, and it's neutral. But it becomes more to us. We even have written on our money in God we trust. But actually, it's the money we trust. We uh, probably possibly know Paul's statement in First Timothy chapter six, where he says, "It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil." Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. that it's the love of money, it's not actually the currency in and of itself. But what's so difficult for me and, and possibly for you is to know when am I loving money and when is it in a good place in my life? That, that's the real tough thing here. It's the thing that we can fool ourselves with, I think, sometimes. be like, yeah, I kind of got it handled all right. But really, it's so easy for money to become something we love. So here are some things that Jesus tells us about money. Here's some of the truths from Jesus. Here's the first one. First one is this. The Father will provide everything you need in life. That's how he went around when he talked. He says, look, see, see those sparrows and see them, see what they have? God provided for them. He'll provide for you. God will give you everything you need in life. Now the the tr- the tough thing is sometimes we mix up what we need with what we want, and oftentimes what I want is a whole lot more than what I need. But the truth from Jesus is the Father will give you everything you need. The next one's an interesting one too. This truth: everything you have is a gift from God. You don't actually own it. It's his. And yet we hold on to stuff so tightly oftentimes, right? Um, I remember once, this again is years ago when I lived down in in, uh, Redondo Beach, a group of us that were in our 20s went down to a uh, kind of a soup kitchen thing in Long Beach, sort of like when we go to Pomona Promise uh, from our church. And we spent a few hours down there working and stuff and handing food out and whatever. And we're walking back to our cars. And I noticed that my friend Greg is walking back and doesn't have shoes on. And I said, Greg, what what happen to your shoes? He said, oh, you know what? I was talking to some guy and he didn't have any shoes and we were the same size. And so I gave them to him. See, that's the type of freedom you can have when you realize that God has given you everything and it's a gift and you don't own it and you can so easily give it away. But again, our world tells us, no, 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 hold on to things so tightly. And I love that Greg could actually give the shoes off his feet to this guy. And then the final truth that Jesus says is that you cannot serve both God and money. It just doesn't work. One will take the place of the other. You you can't serve both. And I think in our culture, we try to do both. And it makes it so difficult for us. And I can look at those truths. Father will provide everything I need. Everything I have is a gift from God. I can't serve both God and money. And I can believe in them. I can say, yes, that's true. But do I actually live it out? live it out. Again, here's another little picture into our life, financial life. Um, we, we support three different kids. I think a couple through Compassion and one through World Vision. And you give money every month and, and helps them and all that stuff. Well, every once in a while, uh, we'll get an, uh, something from those organizations saying, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. Would you like to give them a special birthday gift? Or it's so-and-so's, it's almost Christmas. Or it's Valentine's Day, or it's uh, Groundhog Day, or, you know, no, no, they don't do that, okay, they don't do that, but they do, they ask, yeah, and, and, and I just kind of put that off to the side, and Nancy takes it, and then I'll go through the bills later on, looking at our thing, and see, what is that check for, oh, compassion, $35, nothing, okay, we paid another $35, on top of what we do every month, and there's a part of me that goes, oh, gosh, it's our money, that we're giving away more of it. But then the question really is, have I ever not had a meal because we gave an extra $35 to a kid in Africa? No. Have I I ever not been able to buy some socks or whatever because we gave $40 to a kid in South America? No. But that thought can creep into your head. We don't have enough. Yet the truth is your father will provide everything you need. So our status quo is this. It's so when we put our trust in money, it be, we become anxious, we become stingy, we're driven to acquire more. We have what is called a scarcity mentality as opposed to an abundance mentality of believing that I just don't have enough, we don't have enough, we need to have more. And you see, money is a very good tool, but it's a really demanding master If money becomes your master, it will demand everything from you. You see, it's as a tool. You can then use money for good. So here's some words of Jesus. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Make Jesus your God, not money. Everything else will be given to you. You see, how we use our money is one of the most important kingdom work things that we do. There's a quote here from Dallas Willard, and I apologize for those of you inside that you won't be able to see it, because Dallas Willard is very deep, okay? And you're going to want to stare at this quote for a while, but I'll read it for us. Outside, you'll be able to see it. Online, you'll be able to see it. Here's what Dallas says. We use money to exercise our dominion for good. So a few weeks ago, I talked about, you know, what is that each of us have a kingdom, and that kingdom is the range of our effective will where we can make a difference. So what Dallas is saying is you can make a difference for good with your money in the kingdom in the places where you can. He says, hence, we begin by earning all the money we can and saving all the money we can, Then we freely use this money within a properly disciplined spiritual life and we control and invest this money for the good of humankind and the glory of God. And finally, we joyfully give money away where and when we have the opportunity to do the most good. So just to let you know where this series is going, next week we'll talk about some practical ways to make this a part of our life when it comes to money. But here's what Dallas is saying. It's more than just giving 10% away. It's more than just having a tithe and doing that and saying, okay, good, I'm, I'm great, I'm good. Dallas is saying, no, no, no. Use everything that God has given you. Use your gifts and abilities to make as much money as possible. And knowing Dallas, he would say, without sacrificing your soul, without sacrificing your family, all of that stuff is so so important. But yes, make as much money as you can. Save as much of it as you can. But use as much of it as you can for the good of the kingdom, for the good of humankind and the glory of God. That that is what we're supposed to do. We'll uh, actually look at this next week, Um, but uh, I'll just let you know this. So Nancy has this little book called Every Moment Holy. And what it is, it's liturgies or prayers for every moment you could kind of find yourself in. And I was looking at this for some other sermon a few months ago, and I found one in here, which was surprising, said a liturgy or a prayer for the paying of bills. I'll share it with you next week. But how different might our lives be if before we paid the bills, we came before the Lord and said, Lord, use this liturgy or this prayer, or just came and said, Lord, I'm I'm here before you. I don't want to be anxious about this. I want to use everything you've given me for the good of humankind and the glory of God. Here we are. I'm trusting you. trust you in the midst of it. That God wants to be a part of every part of our life. There's not anything that is just the status quo and just, oh, just keep going along with that. But in this really important area of finances, God wants to be right in the middle of it. And he doesn't want us to believe that lie of Satan that, hey, the money is just yours. Do with it what you want and don't tell anybody about it, especially me. The Lord wants to be right in the middle of our finances.
1: So be aware of all that
0: God has given you and envision how you can use that for the good of God's kingdom. How might your life look like if you lived as if you could trust God with everything you need for life, that everything you have is a gift from him, and that your money and your possessions are a part of what it means to partner with him, with Jesus, in the kingdom of God. That's exciting. That isn't shaming. That isn't, oh, you're not doing enough. That is exciting to think about. How we could trust God in that way and then use what he gives us for the good of his kingdom. What a way to live. (laughs) What a freeing way to live. What a joyous way to live. Let me pray for us. So, Lord, our prayer is that you would help us in this area, that you would help us to to learn how to trust you with our money, with our finances, with the stuff that you've given us, how we would trust you to, um, to give things away, to help those in need, to do whatever we can for the betterment of humankind. What a great way to live and help us to do that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.